Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Happy Lord's Day. We are in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be actually doing 12 verses today, so this is a record for us. This is a record. This is also our 50th teaching in Revelation. If you count Monday's Bible study, tomorrow will be the 100th, so really moving. So far, we have seen four trumpet judgments. Today, we are going to read the fifth. Now, if you remember, when the fourth trumpet ended, uh, it ended with an eagle flying overhead and said the three, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's one of the few triplications of words in all of the Holy Scriptures. So this was a woe (laughs) listed to the thrice degree, the highest degree. And so we know the three woes that are coming, that will be three last trumpets, are going to be truly dreadful. Uh, You think we've seen bad. You ain't seen nothing yet. Baby. Uh, (laughs) Things are about to get a whole lot worse. So today we read the first woe, the fifth trumpet. We got 12 verses to get through, so we better get moving. Uh, Verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Now, some people think this star is a heavenly messenger uh, falling from heaven to do God's will. I, however, don't lean that way. I think this is some sort of judged demonic being kicked out of heaven. Uh, A a star falling from heaven is typically biblical language of, uh, of a judged being being cast down from out of the presence of God. Remember, Jesus spoke this way in the gospel about Satan. Uh... And then it says, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and was given, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And the argument goes, well, why would God give Satan or some evil being the keys to the bottomless pit? And that kind of makes sense. But then when you get to chapter 13, God gives Satan dominion on the earth. So the argument goes, well, if God would give Satan dominion, uh, temporary dominion on the earth, why wouldn't he give him temporary dominion under the earth? So uh, very clear, this seems to be some sort of evil being cast out of heaven, given the keys to the bottomless pit. The Greek word there is abuso, Hebrew abyss. Now, I believe it will be helpful to categorize here. In the book of Revelation, there is uh, the abyss, There is Hades, and there is the lake of fire. And as you're reading through the book, it's kind of like, what what is where? (laughs) Uh, The abyss is the home of evil, of demons, of Satan himself. Hades, as we see in Revelation 20, verse 13, is a place where the dead are kept until the last judgment. 
And then finally, the lake of fire, you want to imagine that as the last judgment where all unbelievers and evil will be thrown to burn and be tormented forever. Now, the abyss, where evil and demons are held. When we look at it in scripture, this, I never knew this, it kind of blew my mind, is described as a place of water. (laughs) Uh, The beasts that arise out of the sea in Revelation are said to arise out of the abyss. In verse 2, it's called the shaft of the abyss. This literally translates to well, like a water well. Um, in, In Revelation chapter 20, the waters are placed alongside Hades as a place to be emptied and judged. I'm going I'm to give about five more reasons tomorrow's Bible study for Monday, but point being the key given uh, to this fallen star unlocks, unlocks the shaft, the door within the waters to the abyss, which is a different way of thinking about this, no? Uh, then verse two, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit to the abyss, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. In verse 8, we saw that smoke from the altar was mixed uh, with incense b- before our God. And the incense, remember, was mingled with the prayers of the saints. So point being, we don't want to miss that we've already been introduced to smoke in this book and that the heavenly smoke that we saw was a good thing. But here the smoke from the abyss, as it ascends into the air, the smoke corrupts. It darkens. It blackens the sky. Everything that this smoke touches, it turns dirty. Uh, And this is biblical language telling us, remember, we've seen a theme already. Remember, the darkness is increasing with this book. At first, the sky was darkened for a time. And then we saw later that a third of the sun was not given to shine. A third of the stars were not to give light. A third of the moon was not to give light. Slowly, the darkness is growing. And out of this pit comes more darkness. And if we connect these two passages in Revelation with smoke, the one in chapter 8, God's heavenly smoke with the prayers of the saints, and chapter 9, smoke, the smoke coming out of the abyss, uh, the smoke that here in Revelation 9, this is a type of infernal sacrifice. In chapter 8, it was a holy sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And now in chapter 9, it is an infernal sacrifice. The smoke that this brings is more evil. It does not give way to godliness. And then verse 3. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. (laughs) And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And isn't that interesting? Evil demonic beasts that are described like locusts are let loose upon the world. Now, what do locusts typically do? They eat green things. Yet these locusts are forbidden to eat green things. And so wherever these locusts go, the only thing left unswarmed, unstabbed, and undestroyed are the green things. It's a swarm of demonic beings who look and swarm like locusts, but instead of consuming greenery as their plague, they act like scorpions. Uh, They attack and stab people, and specifically who? Not us, the unsaved. 
It's those who have not been marked by God that are, or it is those who have been marked by God that are not allowed to be touched by this evil. Uh, it reminds me of a passage in scripture called the Passover. The first Passover in Egypt, it was those who were marked by the blood of the lamb. They remained untouched by the angel who flew over to kill the firstborn. God is not allowing his people to be affected by this demonic plague here. Verse 5. They were allowed to torment for five months, but did not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings. Uh, So... These demonic beings torment for five months. Why five months? I have no idea. Why are you asking me? <laughs> I have no idea. I've seen 10 theories and all of them I go, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, what we do know, however, is that these creatures, uh, these locusts, these scorpion creature demon things, they will torment. And they will make life so miserable for the unsaved. You know people that aren't good at pain? Like they'll get a cough and they act like they're on death's door. They're really going to have a hard time with this. (laughs) You just got stabbed in the face, dude. Uh, So this will be something else. Verse 6. And in those days, people will seek death, but not... They will seek a beep and not hear And in those days, uh, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death uh, will flee from them. The the torment that this demonic swarm will bring will be so horrific. People will wish for death, but it will not come. The sting will bring people to the edge of death, but will never quite push them over into it. Uh, Now, verse 7 through 10 seems to be so strange. Uh, It describes their appearance. And when you read it, you go, what? You're kind of supposed to do that. It's supposed to be a little, this is bizarre. And we'll get into why when we get to the end here. Verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. What does that mean? So uh, it seems that they have armor. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Now, some scholars think this might be a gold laurel wreath. Uh, and this is something that athletic military victors were awarded when they won a battle. So it may be that they are declaring themselves victorious before they even fight. Uh, which sounds demonic to me. <laughs> uh, they're boasting in their victory before the victory. Their faces were like human faces. Really interesting. That word for human here seems to strongly imply man. They have the face of men, and then verse 8 is going to make more sense. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. Like sharp spears, dangerous. You don't look at a lion's teeth and go, hmm, he looks friendly. No, that's dangerous territory there. So these locust scorpions have faces of men, hair like women, and teeth like lions. Uh, Verse 9, they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. Again, they're armored. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. (laughs) Well, that sounds a little bit terrifying. (laughs) Um. This certainly implies that they will be loud. Uh, but, but also John is trying to tell us about the sheer power behind their flight. Uh, 
war horses and chariots were super weapons of the day. So John is conveying their, their strength. Uh, verse, verse 10 here. I need a coffee break. And they have tails that sting like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. A scorpion's tail is always raised. So they have tails like scorpions means always, they're they're always ready to strike. Uh, So they're ill-tempered, it seems. And again, they have the power to torture and torment people for five months. Verse 11, and they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he is Apollyon. And the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. This star that fell, we find find out, was the king of these demons, this evil. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destroyer. And the Greek, Abaddon, is Apollyon, which also means destroyer. Uh, I believe the reason we were given the same name twice in two different languages is I believe we're being clued as to uh, that these these scorpion being things are going to plague both Jew and Gentile. I think that's why we have two names there. Now, the question is, is this Satan? Um, I don't know. It it, it may be, it may not be. Uh, I I lean no, but it it could be here. Um, Now... (laughs) Let's start to make sense of some of this, because if I said, okay, I want you to tell me what you learned at church today, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I learned today. Uh, let's start to, to put the puzzle pieces together. So, so far in Revelation, we have seen lots of heavenly beings, haven't we? You know, I, I, I don't mean this flippantly, but you know in Star Wars when you walk in, they're in the bar and there's all those things. You know, in Revelation, there's been all these different beautiful, not, you know, to be mean, but, but beautiful, things we can't even comprehend. So far, we've seen so many different kinds of heavenly beings. We've seen angels. We've seen saints, we've seen the cherub, we've seen Jesus, who was described like a building. Uh, We've seen aspects of the Father. Now, for example, let's look at the cherub, because they hold, in some ways, the closest likeness to these beasts in Revelation 9. Revelation verses uh, 4, I want to read this to you, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, the first living creature like a lion. This is describing the cherub who are in heaven, for example. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with a face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, which I still don't know what that means. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. As we compare the different foreign beings in Revelation, both heavenly and demonic, something becomes abundantly clear. Within God's kingdom, there is great symmetry. There is great beauty. There is great order. And within Satan's kingdom is perversion, chaos, and disorder. 
So for example, for what we just read in Revelation 4, we don't need to go through this, but I'm certainly going to. The four cherubs sing in total unity and order. They say, holy, holy, holy. That's a three, right? I'm not making that up. You could fact check me. Is the Lord God Almighty? Lord God Almighty. We have another three. Kurios, Theos, uh, uh, Pantocrator, right? We, we, have, we have another three, which in Hebrew would be uh, Yahweh, Elohim, and El Shaddai, right? And then we have who was, and who is, and who is to come. We have another three. Our God was the God of was, and is, and is to come. So there are three titles of God that the cherubs sing in perfect unity that are made up of three threes. Do you see? There's such symmetry and order in God's creation and his agents. Now, to go take this a little further, uh, Revelation, and really the whole Bible, has been filled with threes and sevens. Well, not only are there three threes in this title for God, for God, but within those three threes, there's a seven. There's seven substantive words when you read it in Greek. There's holy Lord God Almighty was, is, and comes. Seven. So not only is it a three, it's a seven. Which, I, you know, I'm looking at this going, that's awesome. <laughs> but let's take this a little further. Well, we take the whole title word by word in Greek, and it matches the English here, which almost never happens. The first title, Holy, 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 is made up of three words. The next one is the Lord God Almighty is made up of five words. Then the next one, who was, the God of who, uh, the, uh, the, who was and is and is to come is made up of eight words. The, the song is numerically building in the titles of God as they sing it, almost as if God's titles could go on and on forever. And then let's put a cherry on top of this. This three by three, seven declaration of God and his title that's growing numerically as it goes is also a song. It rhymes. It, holy, holy, holy. Hagias, Hagias, Hagias. The Lord God Almighty. It says, Kokorias, hey, Theos, hey, Pantocrator. And then it says, who was and is and is to come. Ha, I me, Kai, ha, I me, Kai, Erkumai. It, it, it rhymes through this whole thing. So, all of God's creation is in this perfect symmetry. And then they rhyme it together. And here's my point, Genesis 1. Our God is a God of order. And his creation, when in step with him, is also of order. But here in Revelation 9, we are now being introduced to Satan's order, his evil creations, his evil purposes, to his demonic perversions. Let's read it again. It's Revelation 9, 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, faces of men. Their hair was like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running in the battle. They have tails that and sting like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. These beings are neither locust or scorpion or men or women or horses or lions. They are a complete perversion of God's created order replaced with confusion. 
Even the sound they make is confusion. Their wings sound like wheels and hoofbeats. <laughs> Their sense of created order is gone. And note that God's created order all through this book has been given to mathematical, precise, glorious, ordered song. So far, Revelation has looked like a musical. We've had so much worship. But here they sound like clunk, 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 clunk. There's wheels and this is Satan's song, noise. And here these demons just make loud, chaotic sounds. In chapter 4, we see the 24 elders take off their crowns and throw them before God in honor. Not these beings. They keep these crowns right on their head. These creatures are are human and they're non-human. They're animal and they're non-animal. They're masculine and feminine. They fly with wings but sound like hoof and wheels. They they, they are locusts but don't eat greens. (laughs) I mean, I get it, but... They are backwards and evil and chaotic and perverse agents of Apollyon. Do you see it? We're done today's text. Two thoughts. Order and chaos. First, chaos. Satan and his kingdom is a kingdom of disorder. (laughs) In Genesis 3... We are introduced to our enemy, the serpent. And this is immediately what he brings, isn't it? He attacks the harmonious soundness and reliability of God's word. What does he say? Did God really say that? Well, that might just be your interpretation. <laughs> and the woman bites, pun intended, and then the curse. Chaos, disorder then ensues. Satan in his kingdom is a kingdom of chaos and disorder. Now, as I was studying this, I immediately felt so grieved for our country because I see so much chaos and disorder. This is why the further our society moves away, From the word of God, the more chaos and disorder there will be. The further your family unit, whether it's two of you or ten of you, right? The further your family unit moves away from the word of God, the more chaos and disorder there will be. (laughs) The number one problem in all of our households is that we're not enough like Christ. (laughs) That's the problem. In God's creation, God designed husbands and wives to complement each other. You know we're equal but different, and that's okay. (laughs) In Satan's creation, husbands and wives, they fight each other. Genesis 3, 4, control. In God's creation, children were to honor their father and mother. Not so in Satan's design. Disrespect for parents has become normalized in households. By design, uh, Satan, uh, by Satan's design, parents need to cease being parents and start becoming friends. Your kids don't need parental friends. They need parents. I tell my kid all the time, buddy, <laughs> you will have lots of friends. You got one daddy. And I am to teach you the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> In God's creation, 
God designed men to be men and women to be women. The fact that that is a controversial statement should tell you how far our culture has fallen. <laughs> Psalm 139:14 God made and designed boys to become men. And you want boys to become men. There's a great absence of men in our culture right now. I keep seeing these videos of people getting beat up like in subways. It's like where's the men to jump in and go enough. Stop it. And God designed girls to become women. This is not so in Satan's design. 2 Corinthians 11:14 his messaging is you can be whatever you want to be. In God's creation, God designed men to marry women and women to marry men. And for their, their different roles to complement each other. Yet this is not so in Satan's design. He wants chaos and disorder. In God's creation, a child in the womb is a child. Psalm 139, that God is knitting into a person. With very specific characteristics, newsflash, internal and external. <laughs> Yet this is not so in, God's in Satan's design. That can either be a child to celebrate or a clump of cells to expel. It's whatever you want. In God's creation, God designed a nation's leaders to be people of order and wisdom. <laughs> not so in Satan's design. Do, do, do you see... Do you see that this is how Satan, his kingdom, operates here? He is a fallen cherub and sows confusion and chaos and disorder and destruction wherever he goes. Jesus in Luke twenty-two thirty-one said to Peter, I have read this verse a hundred times and I've read it for the first time this week. Simon, Simon, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Yeah, have you heard this before? Okay. Did you know that word in the Greek for demanded is a hapax legomenon? <laughs> I didn't. It means it's the only place in the entire Bible where that specific Greek word is used. And there's lots of demanded. It's the only specific one in Greek. And what it means when we look at ancient sources is to demand and to expect to receive it. Jesus told Peter that Satan demanded you and expected that you would be delivered. When, when, this tells us, when Satan tempts you, not that any of you have ever been tempted before, but when Satan tempts you, he expects you to fall. The Bible tells us Satan walks around. It's almost like he prances like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is so pompous, but he's also very skillful that when he tempts you, he expects you to fall. And the reality is, how many times has he succeeded? <laughs> According to the parable of the sower, many he is so cunning and so evil and the evil and the darkness he so often brings with him is rebellion against God's order, is, is chaos, is disorder. When Satan wanted to kill Adam and Eve, what did he do? Genesis 3 warns us how he devours people. The very first time we see Satan open his mouth in the Bible, he is immediately treating God's order 
as oppression, isn't he? What do you mean you can't eat whatever fruit you want? (laughs) You have a whole garden, Adam and Eve. I think one tree's okay. And at the same time, promising liberty and freedom in disorder. That if she would eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree and good and evil, she would be set free and you would be like God. But disorder and chaos from wisdom never leads to freedom and liberty. It only ever brings Apollyon, death and destruction. (laughs) Loved ones, a a culture, a a country, a, a family, a person, anything that actively pursues to tear down the very systems that have brought stability will only ever bring instability. (laughs) You can't expect to tear out the foundation of the house you're living in and not expect it to fall. It's chaos and disorder and destruction. And this is what Satan creates. This is what he sows. And this is what he will unleash upon the world to torment in the last days. And this is what he unleashes upon the world to torment, how to torment it today. He sows chaos and disorder. Now, secondly, order. But God's people, we are to be a people of order. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean people who are actively pursuing God's design. In the Lord's Prayer, our model prayer, every day we are to pray that God's will would be done. You know you to pray that every day? God, get your way, don't give me mine. <laughs> God's will, God's order, God's law. Paul talks about God's order about uh, order uh, in the believer like this. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Colossians 2, 5. For although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see your orderly condition and firm faith in Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, an elder, a pastor, needs to manage and order his house well. There needs to be structural, biblical principles in a godly home. Paul lays out something really cool in Romans 12, uh, starting in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Leads with zeal here, Uh, means an orderly oversight. You know people that get run away by their passions and lose all order? (laughs) That's what he's warning against. our, Our passions are to have an order to them. The warning here is not to have our passions in Christ be disordered and ungrounded in the word of God. God's people must build their life upon, as he says, upon the rock, God's word. Just to think logically. If the opening statement of the Bible is true, 
that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If that one statement is true, then that changes everything. It, it, it changes everything. It means that the guy who started it all, he gets to dictate what is. And here's a crazy idea. If God really did invent humanity, as I know he did, but if God really invented humanity, then he knows what humanity needs to flourish. He knows the order that we need to thrive. And Satan, since he was there from the beginning, he knows the disorder that is needed to destroy. He knows exactly what to inject into a culture to kill it. And as a believer, we have to make a choice. Do we choose order or disorder? Do we choose God or Apollyon? And if we choose God, then we must read his word and we must follow it, whether we like it or not. You know, God's word is true whether we agree with him or not. <laughs> if you read a passage of scripture and don't like it, it doesn't mean it's no longer true. It just means you need to grow up. <laughs> Psalm 137 says, verse 23, the steps of the man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. You like that little caveat. God's order, God's design, God's plans, his path. Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's order. Our God is a God of order. And you know what? He expects his people to be a people of order, to follow his word, to build your life upon the word. Jesus puts it like this, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You love Jesus, then you follow him and you build your life upon his order. Remember, it's thy will be done, not my will be done. <laughs> God's people must submit to Christ and his word, no matter how popular or unpopular it may be. And so as we close today, I want to encourage you to submit to God's word, to live a life of obedience to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And today's passage in Revelation is such a reminder of Satan's intentions to torment people. And that's to torment and destroy through the chaos that he designs. This is what he does. And the chaos and disorder that Satan presents to us today is no different than that of the fruit of the garden. He masquerades misery as liberty and freedom, doesn't he? Oh, if you have sex, you'll be so free outside of marriage. No, you won't. Bucket of chaos. <laughs> no, you won't. You follow his disorder every time. Have you ever been, if, if anyone ever swims in the ocean, you ever been hit by a big wave and do one of these under the water? And you come up and your hair's all flanged out and you're like, oh, I just feel like I got in a fight. It's what Satan will do to you. If you listen to him enough, he torments people. And following him torments us. And so I'd, I'd like to close with a word from the Apostle Paul from the book of Philippians chapter 3 here. Our citizenship is in heaven 
and we eagerly wait for a sa- wait for a savior from there the lord jesus christ he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray. God, we, <laughs> we love you. Not as much as we should, but we do. And God, right now we are in a very chaotic culture. An order starting to be given over to such delusion and apollyon and destruction. God, as I reflected on your opening words of your Bible this week, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep, that word is chaos. God, you brought order to chaos. This is what you do. And so, God, the chaos in our country, the chaos in our families, the chaos in our own minds, you can order. Your word says that you transform by the renewing of our minds, God. You you can transform our disorder into order because you are a life giver. You, you, You set things right. And so, God, we ask that you would help help us to be a people of order, to tether our opinions and emotions and desires to your word that we may begin to love what you love and hate what you hate and praise what you praise. Just enter into joy where you find joy and the things that Satan is offering to us, the, 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 the torment that he presents to us as freedom and liberty. God, let us see it for what it is, death. God, we ask that you may pour your spirit out upon us mightily now and help us to see, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. We do pray. If anyone needs prayer, we have people up here to pray with. Please come up. And if if your life is in disorder and you need order, then come pray for it. God, please guide us now. Direct us now. And we praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.